From Liangjiahe, a village on the barren lowest plateau in northwest China, to Zhongnanhai, the center of China's top leadership in Beijing. Xi Jinping has served in various posts at different levels of the government across China, starting in his early years as a junior village official to governing as China's top leader. What's he like as an individual and as a leader? How have his work experiences from earlier decades been influencing his leadership as the national leader? What are some of the core principles that have guided his decisions and actions? I consider myself a relatively hard-working person. I know very well that people's biggest concerns are education, employment, income. We can't pursue development through destructive methods, depleting the legacies from our ancestors while exhausting the options for our future generations. The Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series shares the life and work experiences of Xi Jinping and explores the formation of his governing principles, philosophy, beliefs, among others. Getting to know Xi's thoughts on national governance and how his leadership took shape may help you better understand China's path, governance and principles. You can follow the Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series on all major podcast platforms. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Bigham with you on this Thursday, October 26, 2023. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, coming to you live from the Chinese capital. On today's program, China's Shenzhou 17 mission with a new crew for the Tiangong space station is now in orbit. The Israeli army says its tanks have conducted a targeted raid in the Gaza Strip. And the U.S. House of Representatives has finally elected a new speaker. In business, China's urban employment rate remains generally stable through the year so far. In sports, China's para-athletes have taken more than 50 gold so far at the Hangzhou Games. In culture and entertainment, the Hangdian Film and TV Festival in Zhejiang Province. Now checking the day's top stories. The Shenzhou 17 spacecraft is successfully docked with China's space station. The spacecraft took off before midday on Thursday with three Taikonauts on board, and they'll stay in orbit for around half a year. The Shenzhou 17 manned spacecraft lifted off from the Zhouchuan Satellite Launch Center in Gansu Province. The three crew members are uh, Tang Hengbo, Tang Shengjie, and Zheng Xinlin. The trio attended a brief ceremony before takeoff. It's the youngest Shenzhou crew since the construction of China's space station. Uh, they will rotate with the Shenzhou 16 trio and are expected to stay in orbit for roughly six months. Shenzhou 17 is the second manned mission of Tiangong's application and development phase. The three Taikonauts will perform various science experiments and payload tests. They'll also carry out some experimental maintenance work for the first time. Zhang Yibing has more from the Beijing Aerospace Control Center. Uh, the success of the Shenzhou 70 mission was announced at the Zhuchen Satellite Launch Center here at the Beijing Aerospace Control Center. Everybody is so happy. And they are busy working for the following missions. Well, this mission is a second manned mission after China Space Station entered its application and development stage and also the 30th launch mission since 
China manned space program was established in 1992, and also the 493rd launch mission carried out by China's Long March carrier rocket. Well, during the mis previous missions, I was usually at the Jiuquan Satellite Launch Center. I was usually amazed, excited by the moments of the lift off of the carrier rocket. But this time, I was amazed by the working condition here at the Beijing Aerospace Control Center because the whole launch process from the liftoff to the fly over the northern part of China and began as the combination of the spacecraft and also the uh, space uh, and the carrier rocket flow over began to flow over the Pacific Ocean. The whole process went on so smoothly and based on the pre-arranged time. So that's the really impressive thing for this morning. After uh, they enter the Tianhe Kuo module of China Space Station, they will be welcomed by Shenzhou 16 crew and they will stay in the uh, China Space Space Station for about four to five days and after that they will take the mission from the 16 crew. They will undertake and they will install the experimental equipment and um, vehicular activities, so many things. But according to the China Man Space Program, they will, un they will do some very particular the new job because the China Space Station has been running in orbit for uh, such a long time. So uh, they would do the repair job during their spacewalk and the extravehicular activities. That was Zhang Yibing on the successful launch of China's latest manned space mission early on Thursday. And for more discussion on that launch, Sun Ye spoke to researcher Luo Guqing at the China Academy of Space Technology. The Shenzhou 17 crew rides the Shenzhou 17 manned spaceship to Tiangong. The Shenzhou 17 spaceship comes from the same production batch as the Shenzhou 16 spaceship, so they are like identical twins. The Shenzhou 17 spaceship is also the 12th Shenzhou spaceship tasked with manned space missions. And Shenzhou spaceships have been 100% successful in past missions. Yet, Luo Guqing, who has been working with Shenzhou spaceship for 12 years, that's since the Shenzhou 8 mission, says she's still working with a first-timer's mentality and is extremely careful. Man's spaceflight is a matter of life and death. We treasure Taikonaut's life like our own. That's our line of work. And we always work with a sense of trepidation, as if walking on thin ice. Indeed, the Shenzhou 17 spaceship has much lined up after taking off. The spaceship will dock with China Space Station from the front port of the core module. The assembly already has Shenzhou 16 spaceship attached. The main difficulty lies in the high-speed situation. It's like two high-speed trains trying to find the other party to catch up with each other safely and accurately, which requires very good control. The Shenzhou 16 spaceship will also detach from the space station in a few days and bring the Shenzhou 16 crew back to Earth. And that was Sun Yat reporting. Well, each time when Chinese Taikonauts enter space, certain experimental samples are taken aboard the Shenzhou spaceship. Ulei reports. We are now in some labs at the Jiuquan Satellite Launch Center. Besides three Taikonauts, Shenzhou 17 spaceship also carries some biological samples and facilities to outer space. Scientists from Chinese Academy of Science 
and Northwestern Polytechnical University are making the final preparations of these samples. Cang Huaixing is in charge of some protein samples, among which the nano-artificial bone material attracts me most. He said nowadays doctors use stainless steel or titanium alloy to repair broken bones, while the blood and body liquid may corrode these materials as time goes by. Scientists are now developing new materials to offer better treatment. We are developing this latest generation of degradable artificial bone, which are made of using calcium hydroxyphosphate and collagen. We specifically use collagen peptides, which are very short collagen. These elements are the two most important components in our own bones, so we chose this nanocrystalline artificial bone to be tested in space. The microgravity environment and space radiation environment will enable the samples to be manipulated into the right shape much easier. Sounds that most of these protein samples will be brought to the Wentian lab module for further experiments. On one hand, these protein experiments can reveal the process of some diseases and provide some technical support for treatment of future diseases. On the other hand, we're aiming to develop new biotechnology products, including new biological drugs and artificial bone material. Most of the samples will be brought back to Earth along with the Shenzhou 17's return to Earth around six months later, and scientists will continue further experiments and try to apply these new materials in new medicines and treatments for patients as early as possible. Zhang Huaixing says it used to take several years to gain approval to conduct an experiment in space. Now the time frame for approval will be much shorter. We will have two human spaceflight missions each year and three cargo ships every two years. More opportunities will be offered. After China's space station becomes fully functional, more domestic and global space experiments will be carried out in a national space lab. That was Ulei reporting. Chinese Premier Li Chang met with Kyrgyz President Sadr Japarov on Wednesday, calling on the two sides to promote high-quality Belt and Road cooperation. Earlier, in a brief meeting upon his arrival, the Premier told the Kyrgyz Prime Minister that China is ready to implement the consensus reached by their leaders, deepen political and strategic mutual trust, and set new benchmarks for cooperation. Premier Li's official visit to the Kyrgyz Republic will continue until Friday. Bilateral cooperation between China and Kyrgyzstan is deepening. In 2019, China invested in and built the Osh Clinic Hospital in southern Kyrgyzstan, the largest hospital in the area. And two years later, the China-aided reconstruction of Kyrgyzstan's irrigation system was completed, benefiting over 20,000 local residents and creating 500 jobs. This year, the Badal port between China and Kyrgyzstan is scheduled to open, while two Kyrgyz ports have extended working hours to better facilitate bilateral trade. Coming up, Israeli tanks conduct a targeted raid in Gaza. Dive into news like never before with Deep Dive, the podcast from CGTN Radio. Join our global reporters for captivating stories and thought-provoking conversations. Search Deep Dive on your favorite podcast platform and get ready to dive in. 
at 10 minutes past the hour. Armed conflict is still raging between Israel and Palestine. Over 8,000 people are dead on both sides. The Israeli army says its tanks have taken part in what it's called a targeted raid in northern Gaza as it prepares its forces for a ground invasion. The Gaza Strip continues to suffer from intensified airstrikes and artillery shelling. The United Nations says Israel's attacks have increased threefold compared to previous days, and the humanitarian crisis in Gaza has reached an unprecedented point. Meantime, the UN agency for Palestine refugees says it'll be forced to halt all operations unless fuel is allowed into Gaza immediately. John Gambrell has more. I've heard from Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. He gave a speech trying to rally his nation, but he also for the first time acknowledged that these intelligence failures that followed the October 7th unprecedented attack by Hamas on Israel that killed some 1,400 people here and saw 200 others taken hostage. Netanyahu said that people would have to give testimony and himself included for the first time acknowledging that he may have to share some of the blame for the failure that allowed this attack to happen. Let's listen to a little bit more of what he had to say. All Hamas members are marked for death, above ground, underground, inside Gaza, outside Gaza. And as you heard from his remarks, he does not seem like he wants to have a ceasefire. These Israeli airstrikes are just continuing to bombard the Gaza Strip. There are some 6,500 Palestinians killed in Gaza as of right now. That's according to the Hamas-controlled health ministry there. Meanwhile, we're continuing to see cross-border attacks from Syria as well as from Hezbollah in Lebanon into Israel. We saw extensive fire there. Israel responded with airstrikes and Hezbollah also fired a surface-to-air missile at an Israeli drone, sparking more Israeli fire. We've heard from a lot of different people saying that they want to continue these negotiations to try to get the 200 hostages held in the Gaza Strip out, but any sort of work towards a ceasefire appears not to be on the table at the moment. That was John Gambrell reporting from Jerusalem. The United Nations is warning that the humanitarian aid now allowed into Gaza is far from meeting the demands of people in the region. A lack of fuel in particular has forced many relief agency facilities to shut down. Nor Harazin reports. It could be a matter of days or even hours before the Al-Aqsa Martyrs Hospital in central Gaza is shut down completely. The hospital needs fuel to power electricity and water to keep desinhalation plants running. Doctors in Gaza have called upon citizens to donate any stored fuel they may have. It is especially critical to support patients in intensive care, prenatal unit and operating rooms. The shortage of fuel in the coastal enclave is also affecting the function of paramedics and civil defense crews in Gaza. Taxi drivers had been helping to transport wounded to the hospitals, but they too need fuel. From the first day of the escalation until this moment, there has not been a literal solar energy. Every day I go to the station to no avail. I put my car on gas so it won't stop, and I can go back and forth, and even we struggle to get gas. We stop working. Even though humanitarian aid has started to enter the Gaza Strip, it is not enough to meet the current needs. The World Health Organization says each hour lost puts more lives at risk. 
That was Noor Harazin updating on the worsening humanitarian situation in Gaza. Well, meantime, the Syrian foreign ministries condemned Israeli attacks in the Gaza Strip and the repetitive attacks on Syrian territories. The country's Aleppo International Airport once again came under fire on Wednesday, uh, making it the fourth assault on the airport within a month. Sarah Coates has more. Syrian state media Sana says that the runway has been heavily distracted. Uh, other infrastructure there at the airport uh, has been distracted and uh, it says that the airport is now currently out of service. Now, we do understand that there have been no injuries. This came after yet another incident in Syria, which the Israeli military did come out to confirm. It says it hit a number of military targets in the region after rockets were fired from Syria into Israel's Golan Heights. That was Sarah Coates reporting from Tel Aviv. There are growing calls from world leaders for a humanitarian pause in the Israel-Palestine conflict. But at the United Nations on Wednesday, there was fallout from a diplomatic feud with Israel the day before. UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres defended his previous statement about the Gaza war at the Security Council as Israel and others continue to demand the UN chief resign. Jody Jacobs in New York has more. The UN Secretary General has rejected the statements made by Israel, saying that it was completely taken out of context. He says that he wanted to set the record straight. Well, this comes at the same time when the Israeli ambassador to the UN continues to call for Antonio Guterres to resign. I am shocked by the misrepresentations by some of my statement yesterday in the Security Council, as if, as if I was justifying acts of terror by Hamas. This is false. It was the opposite. Now, this is the second time in 10 days that the Security Council is considering competing resolutions on the crisis in the Middle East. Last week, we had a resolution tabled by Russia. It did not garner enough support and a second one by Brazil that was vetoed by the United States. On Wednesday, the U.S. tabled another resolution at the Security Council, but it was vetoed by both Russia and China. The Chinese ambassador to the U.N. saying that there was not enough consultation that took place with regards to, to, to the U.S. resolution. All eyes have been on the U.N. Security Council for weeks now to take some form of decision with regards to the conflict in the Middle East. But given the veto votes by permanent members and the Security Council, it often leaves the Council in a quagmire. That was Jody Jacobs reporting. In the meantime, U.S. President Joe Biden's decried the attacks on Palestinians by Israeli settlers in the West Bank and said they must stop as tensions grow in the region. He made the comments during a joint news conference with Australian Prime Minister Anthony Albanese, who's in Washington on a state visit. Biden also called for renewed dedication toward the eventual creation of a Palestinian state once the conflict between Israel and Hamas ends. Albanese said Australia condemns the atrocities and terror of Hamas. Uh, the visit comes against the backdrop of escalating fighting between Israel and Palestine after the Hamas attack on Israelis earlier this month. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up, the U.S. House of Representatives has a new speaker. Climate Watch is CGTN Radio's new podcast focusing on the impact of climate change. We have conversations with people on the front line about this critical issue. Listen to Climate Watch on all major podcast platforms and join us in taking action to save the planet we call home. 
Mm. At 18 minutes past the hour, the U.S. House of Representatives has finally elected a new speaker. Republican Congressman Mike Johnson of Louisiana was elected. In his speech, he said the House is ready to get to work again. Benji Heyer has details from Washington, D.C. At last then, 22 days, 14 candidates in all, four nominees, four votes on the House floor, finally a victor and the House is operational again. Mike Johnson becoming the 56th Speaker of the US House of Representatives, the second in line to the presidency, bringing to an end a weeks-long saga that has engulfed Washington. Republican lawmakers struggling to coalesce around a single nominee, leaving that seat of power vacant and the building behind me in a state of paralysis. Uh, Johnson, for those that don't know who he is, is a staunch conservative from Louisiana and becomes the least experienced speaker to be elected in about 140 years. He has never held a senior leadership position in Congress. He now holds the gavel. His success coming after multiple failures to fill that post left after former Speaker Kevin McCarthy was ousted. And I think it's fair to say that whilst this has been an incredible rise, it's not that Johnson was the first choice of Republican lawmakers by any stretch. It's more that he had less enemies within the party than many of the uh, Speaker designates to go before him, like Tom Emmer for a couple of hours on Tuesday, or Jim Jordan before him, or House Majority Leader Steve Scalise in the days prior. Uh, it's, it's a stunning accession, though, and Democrats are, are quick to pounce on the fact that even though Mike Johnson is a relative unknown, he does have a, a checkered past, they might argue. He backed a lawsuit, for instance, that was urging the Supreme Court to try to get involved in the counting of votes in swing states that Joe Biden won in the 2020 election over Donald Trump. The Democrats' argument, plainly, that a man who claimed to sort to undermine democracy, who they claim sought to undermine democracy, is now overseeing the very heart of it. Johnson now has the gavel, uh, although the challenges for him still remain. There is an impending government shutdown deadline looming in November and demands from the White House to pass a trance of uh, legislation, uh, aid towards Ukraine and uh, Israel with the total sum of $100 billion, all whilst Mike Johnson is trying to navigate an extremely slim Republican majority in the lower chamber. That was Benji Heyer reporting. More than 20 people are dead in multiple shootings in Maine. Dozens more are wounded. U.S. authorities say the shooting spree took place at a restaurant in a bowling alley in Lewiston. Nick Harper has more. Yeah, we've just been hearing from the police chief giving a press conference there in Maine, speaking about how all of this unfolded. In terms of the death toll, local media very much reporting that 22 dead. However, the police chief said that he couldn't confirm a specific number. He was worried that potentially we could see that death toll uh, rise higher, potentially much more quickly, as we have been seeing over the last couple of hours. So he didn't want to put a precise number on the death toll as it stands. He says it all unfolded, though, just before 7 p.m. local time, a gunman entering at least two locations, uh, one of them known to be a restaurant 
arcade-style eatery. The other one was a bowling alley. And it all unfolded in Lewiston, which is the second largest city in the U.S. state of Maine, uh, the state that's up near the Canadian border in the northeast of the country. Not a very popular state, but this is one of the most popular cities in the state. And the police have released pictures of the suspected gunman, uh, someone who appears to be wearing a brown sweatshirt, a bearded man uh, carrying an assault rifle. One picture seeming to show him entering one of those two establishments where we believe that these shootings took place. Police say that they have got hundreds of police working on this. They've also named him, uh, saying that he is uh, Robert Card, a 40-year-old man, uh, saying that he is considered armed and dangerous. They're calling him a person of interest rather than a suspect at this stage. They're not saying whether he's known to local authorities, although plenty of reporting here in the United States suggesting that he is a firearms instructor who has previously been trained by the military. About 565 mass shootings have been recorded so far this year. A mass shooting often described as an event where four or more people are shot. If you break down those numbers, it means there's been almost two mass shootings every single day during the course of 2023. Now, we know that President Biden has been briefed on this. He's been pushing very hard during his time in office, almost three years in the White House, to try and push for much tighter gun controls, including calling for an all-out ban on assault rifles. And looking at these pictures that the police have released, it looks as if this suspected gunman was using that type of weapon, an assault rifle. The Biden administration wants that ban, but many Republicans, the other party uh, up on Capitol Hill, do not want that to take place. They say that this is a Second Amendment right, the right to bear arms. It's written into the Constitution and therefore the government cannot change the rules. That was Nick Harper reporting. In Mexico, a major hurricane's caused massive damage along the country's Pacific coast. Alistair Baverstock has more. Hurricane Otis made landfall as a catastrophic hurricane in the early hours of Wednesday, hammering the beach resort of Acapulco, Mexico, with heavy rains, storm surge waves as high as 8 metres and winds above 270 kilometres per hour. As it passed over an abnormally warm Pacific Ocean on its route towards Mexico, Otis strengthened Tuesday from a tropical storm to a Category 5 hurricane, the strongest possible rating in the space of just 12 hours, the fastest strengthening of a tropical storm ever recorded in the northeastern Pacific. Described as a nightmare scenario for southern Mexico by the National Hurricane Center, Otis has left devastation in Acapulco, where trees have been uprooted, streets have been flooded, and homes, hotels and vehicles have all sustained damage following a night described as apocalyptic by those who lived through it. Mexican authorities are now on high alert for the subsequent surge of flooding with the military deployed throughout the region and President Andres Manuel López Obrador urging the public to seek refuge in shelters, avoid getting too close to rivers and streams and to remain alert as the threat to life following Otis remains real. 
After passing over Acapulco, Otis encountered the mountainous terrain of South Mexico and rapidly weakened but still considered a dangerous storm with sustained winds of about 175 kilometers per hour. However, Otis continues to bring heavy rains throughout the south of the country, a marginalized region where rural communities now face the threat of being cut off from the outside world by landslides and mountain mountain road collapses. That was Alistair Beverstock reporting from Mexico. Concerns over the release of the wastewater from Japan's Fukushima nuclear plant are still spreading. The radioactive water has yet to affect Sri Lanka, but a local biologist is warning the release may bring unprecedented consequences to the global environment, animals and human beings. Risha Kanduja has more. Despite objections of a possible looming disaster, Japan started releasing radioactive wastewater. Samantha Gunasekra, who leads the first biodiversity protection unit in Sri Lanka, shares his meaningful insights. In the case of Fukushima wastewater releasing, it could be harmful to anybody around the Japan or Pacific Caution. The cross-border transaction could be happen even the long distances. We can see the Chernobyl blast in Russia. But when we test radioactive level in milk food and many trans-traded goods, we detected very high level of radioactive even after five, six years. In this case, untreated water could be deposited in the seabed. So on the non-living organism, as well as living organisms, especially the microorganism. So through the microorganism, it could be transmitted to the algae, other organisms, then fish, mollusks, after that birds, mammals, and all the organisms. Therefore, it could be harmful to all the animals and the living organisms. Through the food chains, it may affect to the humans as well. Seafood exports are a fraction of Japan's total exports. We have seen recent bans from major economies at the international level. The release of water from the Japanese nuclear plant has already caused the price of produce from surrounding coastal areas to drop. Fisheries traders are anxious. Ken Oshima is worried that if people stop buying fish from Fukushima, he will be out of a job. Prices are already down at auction for fish traders. Our family eats seafood from Fukushima all the time. But now I hear people say that they won't buy it. They certainly don't want to give it to their children. And if people stop buying fish from Fukushima, I'm out of a job. It's just like dumping an atomic bomb again. The communities, fishers and locals will be affected largely. The decision is futile in the short term, though dangerous in the future. Fishery generates a good amount of business in Japan and that will be affected. Or it can lead to food poisoning or the quality of fisheries will deteriorate. Treatments, technology and transfer all is happening with Fukushima nuclear plant. Slums and trade and agony among the communities can be heard and seen. Despite public advertisement campaigns about safety, along with sharing real-time data on water's radioactivity levels, hasn't benefited much. But attracted critics because environment is the home for all, but not for an individual. For The Beijing R, I am Richa Khanduja. 28 past the hour, Beijing at 6 degrees overnight, sunny and 21 on Friday. Chongqing has rain overnight and tomorrow, low 17, a high of 20. Hong Kong is getting 25 this evening, then showers in 29.
It's time for a short break. So far this hour, China's Shenzhou 17 mission with a new crew for the Tiangong space station is now in orbit. Uh, the Israeli army says its tanks have conducted a targeted raid in the Gaza Strip. And the U.S. House of Representatives has finally elected a new speaker. Shane Begum with you. Stay with us here on the Beijing Hour. Experience the musical classics of the East. Mingle with the masters of Chinese music. Music talks. Witness the sound of antiquity and modernity. We all enter this world with a universal greeting. We then learn to speak. Though our languages, cultures, and traditions may differ, we still share one thing in common. We have hope for humanity and the world. An General Railway Company, Deutsche Director of the International Hear the difference with CGTN Radio. Join our global network to connect with the world. CGTN Radio. Hear the difference. I love you. 我爱你. This might be the easiest way to say I love you, since there are so many other romantic expressions. No matter if you are a rookie, or a sophisticated learner, there is definitely something that will interest you. Check out Takeaway Chinese, a world that starts with 你好. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Bigham with you on this Thursday. Still to come. In business, China's urban employment rate remains generally stable through the year so far. In sports, China's para-athletes have taken more than 50 gold so far at the Hangzhou Games. In culture and entertainment, the Hungdian Film and TV Festival in Zhejiang Province. To contact us, you can email radio at cgtn.com or follow our X account, formerly Twitter, at CGTN Radio. But first of all, with the day's headline news, here's Zhu Tianlu. Thank you, Shane. The Shenzhou 17 spacecraft has successfully docked with China Space Station. The spacecraft took off before midday on Thursday with three Taikonauts on board. Tang Hongbo, Tang Shenjie, and Zhang Xinlin will stay in orbit for about half a year. They will carry out science experiments and payload tests. Shenzhou 17 is the 30th flight mission of China's manned space program. The Chinese ambassador to the U.S. has called on Washington to stop politicizing economic issues or overstretching the concept of security when advancing bilateral agricultural cooperation. Xiaofeng made the remarks after an order by Arkansas requiring top agriculture company Syngenta to sell farmland in the state it has owned for decades amid national security concerns. China National Chemical Corporation purchased Syngenta in 2017. Xie says the company has never posed any national security risks to the U.S. during its operation, but is subject to unreasonable suppression simply because it was bought by a Chinese company. He calls for basic respect for the spirit of contract, market rules and fair play. The company employs 4,000 Americans and has been serving American farmers with advanced agri-tech across more than 40 states. It provides a salary of about 510 million U.S. dollars annually. 
Pyongyang has held a ceremony to commemorate the 73rd anniversary of the Chinese People's Volunteers entering North Korea to fight in the war to resist U.S. aggression and aid Korea. Vice Chair Kong Yasok of the Standing Committee of the Supreme People's Assembly said the Chinese military made tremendous sacrifice and indelible contribution in the victory of the Fatherland Liberation War of North Korea and in defense of the revolutionary causes of the two countries. He said the heroic feats of the Chinese army and people will never be forgotten. Chinese Ambassador Wang Yajun said the traditional friendship between China and North Korea is cemented with the bloodshed by the armed forces and the people of the two countries in the war. He expressed confidence that the two countries will inherit the invaluable friendship and keep pushing bilateral ties forward. The Russian Defense Ministry has released footage showing a test of the country's nuclear weapon delivery capabilities. The footage reportedly showed high-powered missiles launching and military airplanes taking off. The Russian military has conducted a simulated nuclear strike in the drill. The exercises came hours after the upper house of parliament voted to rescind the country's ratification of a global nuclear test ban. The bill to end ratification of a comprehensive nuclear test ban treaty has been approved in the lower house. It will be sent to President Vladimir Putin for final approval. More than 20 people a more than 22 people are dead in multiple shootings in the U.S. state of Maine. Authorities in the city of Lewiston say shooting scenes include a restaurant and bowling venue. Law enforcement sources say dozens more are injured, but it's not clear how many were wounded by gunfire. U.S. Republicans have elected Mike Johnson as the new Speaker of the House of Representatives. The former vice chairman of the U.S. House Republican Conference won the vote after some frontrunners dropped out of the race. It comes after the U.S. House went without a leader for several weeks. Armenia says it hopes to conclude a peace agreement with Azerbaijan in the coming months and establish diplomatic relations with it. The country's prime minister made the comment on Thursday. Speaking at a forum in Georgia, Nikol Pashinya said Armenia also hopes to open its border with Turkey, a close ally of Azerbaijan. Over 100 miners have left a gold mine in South Africa where they were trapped for days amid a union dispute. Most of us, like it came as a shock. That our, we thought we, we came, we came to push a shift, and then in the morning, maybe we like if we, if it's gonna be strike, we strike uh, uh, like on surface. But then uh, it turns out it was well a shaft shutdown. The National Union of Mine Workers says armed groups had held more than 500 workers of Gold One Mine in Johannesburg as hostages since Sunday, preventing the workers from coming out of the mine. The union says the Association of Mine Workers and Construction Union, a rival union, took the hostages, demanding to be recognized as the majority union at the mine. AMCU has denied that the workers were hostages. Gold One Mine says it is engaging with the Department of Mineral Resources and Energy and the police to resolve the matter. The German cabinet has approved legislation meant to ease deportations of the unsuccessful asylum seekers as Chancellor Olaf Scholz seeks to defuse migration as a political problem. The draft legislation, which needs parliamentary approval, proposes raising the maximum length of pre-deportation custody from 10 days to 28 and specifically easing the deportation of people who are members of a criminal organization.
Interior Minister Nancy Feather said Germany has already deported more people this year than a year earlier, but more needs to be done. In order to protect the fundamental right to asylum, however, we must significantly limit irregular migration. Those who do not have the right to stay must leave our country again. The number of repatriations this year is already about 27 percent higher than the same period last year. Nevertheless, there is a considerable need for action. Shelters for migrants and refugees have been filling up in recent months as significant numbers of asylum seekers add to more than a million Ukrainians who have arrived since the start of the Russia-Ukraine conflict. Thank you very much. That was Zhu Tianlu with Headline News. Uh, this is Shane Bigham in the Chinese capital. And coming up in business, China's urban employment rate remains generally stable through the year so far. wondered what's actually going on in Africa through the perspective of an African? How are things really going between China and Africa? What's the narrative of this relationship? Well, get a perspective with China-Africa Talk. Hear from African diplomats, entrepreneurs, academics, Chinese natives and more. Get on our wavelength every week to find out what's real with China-Africa Talk. Find us on your favorite podcast. We'll see you there. 38 minutes past the hour, turning to business and stock markets on the Chinese mainland finish higher on Wednesday or Thursday. Rather, Timothy Pope has more. The uh, Chinese mainland markets were the only regional equities trading higher. There was uh, some lingering boost to sentiment from yesterday's announcement of stimulus uh, in the form of government infrastructure bonds. But the fact that uh, investor enthusiasm has dimmed pretty quickly uh, shows that sentiment is still fairly fragile. Uh, The Shanghai Composite Index recovered from early losses today and ended about half of 1% higher, and the Shenzhen component rose by four-tenths of 1%. Today, uh, new energy stocks were the major drag on the markets, particularly solar companies. Uh, Longji Green Energy, which is uh, definitely an industry bellwether, slipped by 3%. And uh, the solar Cell producer Tongwei slid 5.8%. Tongwei's losses were compounded by uh, its reporting net profit falling 68% year-on-year in the third quarter, not doing its stock uh, any favours. But uh, those market losses were offset by uh, some gains that we saw particularly among uh, financial and consumer stocks. Uh, The big Chinese banks in particular uh, contributed the most to gains. Uh, ICBC added uh, 1.7% and there were gains too for Bank of China and Agricultural. That was market analyst Timothy Pope in Shanghai. In Hong Kong, the Hang Seng Index was down over two-tenths of a percent. In Japan, the Nikkei lost over two percent. Chinese authorities say more than 10.2 million more urban Chinese were employed in the first nine months of the year, with employment remaining generally stable in the third quarter. In September, the surveyed unemployment rate in the country's urban areas was 5%, 0.2 points lower than the previous month. China further implemented a string of policies that prioritize employment, supporting companies to create more positions and hire more people. China recruited around 42,000 college graduates during the period to serve at grassroots posts in education, agriculture, health care, and poverty relief. By the end of September, nearly 33 million people who got out of poverty had found jobs. Many places also carried out vocational skills training for key groups, such as college graduates and rural migrant workers. 
China's digital trade landscape is rapidly evolving and playing a pivotal role in reshaping the economy. According to the Ministry of Commerce, the country's digitally deliverable trade surged to over 2.5 trillion yuan, or 342 billion U.S. dollars in 2022, rising 7.8% from the previous year. Cross-border e-commerce import and export volumes also hit a record high of over 2.1 trillion yuan last year, and that was up 9.8%. Vice Commerce Minister Wang Shouwen attributes the booming digital trade to the integration of new consumption patterns and online applications. Last year, China's independently developed online games for the international market achieved sales of nearly 17.4 billion dollars. Online novels gained 150 million overseas readers, with 16,000 books sold. New production models such as cloud outsourcing and platform subcontracting have been widely implemented in various industries, leading to the emergence of a gradually formed cloud economy. China's digital economy skyrocketed to 50.2 trillion yuan, or nearly 7.2 trillion U.S. dollars, in 2022, accounting for 41.5 percent of the country's GDP. Foreign companies are expanding their footprints in the world's second-largest economy. Fresh data from the Ministry of Commerce shows that nearly 38,000 foreign-invested enterprises established businesses in China during the first nine months of the year, a 30% jump from a year ago. The actual use of foreign investment exceeded 1 trillion yuan, or 137 billion U.S. dollars, reaching a historic high. With more on this, Michael Wang spoke to Chu Chang, research fellow at Beijing Foreign Studies University. Uh, Chu Chang, I want to turn now to investments because some are concerned that China is losing perhaps a little bit of its luster as a destination for foreign direct investment, and that foreign capital is leaving China. What's your response to that? Well, first of all, you need to understand there's something we call international, you know, investment、uh, cycle because right now everywhere in the whole world is hitting on a slow cycle. It's in a slow pace. Last year, the whole global, according to the UN report. The whole globe lost、uh, already about 20% of the international investment. Everybody has been reducing the size, but against this background, China starts making a、uh, you know good answer sheet.、Uh, we've been increased by 35% in the、uh, first nine months of the whole year in the international investment. I think already this is phenomenal. Even though compared to the past years of China, this is just a normal number. And also, if you take at the uh, concrete uh, you know project in Shanghai. Uh, only in the first six months, we've been looking at、uh, about 30, oh sorry, 80、uh, companies, been 80 big companies, already 80 big projects have been located in Shanghai alone, and also、uh, viewing from the countries,、uh, France, Germany, Japan, and etc., they've been looking at a hundred percent of increase, new increase the capital investment in in China, especially France, especially、uh, even the UK, and also Japan and Germany has also made a big progress. So I'm looking. I'm thinking China still has its very important, you know, attractiveness to the international capital, especially against the current, you know, turbulent,、uh, you know, international backdrop. That was Chu Chang, research fellow at Beijing Foreign Studies University, talking about foreign direct investment in China. Overseas buyers from more than 200 countries and regions have attended the second phase of the ongoing Canton Fair in Guangzhou, Guangdong Province. Seen as a barometer of the country's foreign trade,、uh, this edition of the biennial event is already exceeding the springtime session. Omar Khan caught up with attendees to find out what they're looking for. Face to face is very important in our business because they have to feel it, they have to check the technology by themselves. 
they have to, um, you know, when you see the product, they have many questions to ask. This is how we develop the trust together, uh, build better products. So yeah, Kano Fair face-to-face, very important to us. This is arguably the most important factor when it comes to doing business at the Canton Fair. And in the 134th edition of the event, domestic companies are thrilled to see buyers coming back to South China to seek out the latest product. Our customers are from Europe, from North America. I think you can find us anywhere on the website, on TikTok, on WeChat, uh, not WeChat, but yeah, on WeChat, on Facebook, everywhere you can find us. Yeah, we have different dealers under different OEM names, but you can find our products very easily everywhere in the world. Serving global consumers is the goal of many of the companies here at the event. The good news for them is that traditional buyers from the U.S. and E.U. are seeing a near 9% increase in attendance compared to the spring session. Yeah, I can agree more. To see something and touch something with your hands uh, makes all the difference uh, quality-wise. But more importantly, the connections and relationships you build with the uh, suppliers here is most important. I'm always amazed at going back to the booths that we always buy from. Uh, they always remember me which is uh, great, but yeah, it's uh, comfortable here. Uh, I always feel welcome. And though the world's oldest trade fair sees domestic companies exporting their products to the global market, many of them include designers, technologies, and materials from around the world. We are the company that are going to explore the global market, so we will do research of the whole industry. So we get the best designer uh, from Italy, and we get the best production machine from uh, Germany and Italy. Okay, we get it in China and with our technology to connect it together. And also uh, provide the, uh, we use the advantage of the supply chain in China so we can give the client the best design. And as the second phase of the Canton Fair continues, more milestones are being set. As 150,000 overseas buyers have taken part so far, a 50% increase compared to earlier this year. That was Omar Khan reporting. Uh, you're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up in sports, China's para-athletes have taken more than 50 gold so far at the Hangzhou Games. Sideline Story brings you all things sports-related. The hottest topics, latest events, juiciest stories, all with a very personal take. Subscribe to Sideline Story Podcast for heated sports discussions covering events that are happening in China and around the world. 47 minutes past the hour. Turning to sports now, and here's Brandon Yates. Thank you, Shane. We begin with the Hangzhou Asian Para Games. China won 51 gold medals at the conclusion of action on Wednesday. Five world records were also broken. Seven Chinese athletes earned gold medals in athletics as the host nation swept all medals in the women's shot put F35, 36 and 37. Tokyo Paralympic champion Wen Xiaoyan set a new world record of 26.18 in the women's 200m T37 final. In the swimming pool, there was much to celebrate for the hosts as their swimmers swept 16 gold medals. Yang Hong set a new world record in the men's 200m individual medley SM6 final. In selected UEFA Champions League football results, Kylian Mbappe got on the score sheet as PSG defeated AC Milan 3-0 in Paris. PSG manager Luis Enrique was happy with his team's performance after a shaky start. 
For the first 25 minutes, Milan puts us under a lot of pressure and we made a lot of mistakes in defense. In other words, getting off the ball, which led to a lack of confidence and exploiting those first 25 minutes. Then Kylian Mbappe's goal reassured us and we finished the first half better. Erling Haaland scored a brace and ended an over 500-minute scoring drought in the competition as defending champions Manchester City defeated Young Boys 3-1. City manager Pep Guardiola praised Haaland after the game. Listen, uh, I admire a lot the courage and the bravery to the guys who, who did the penalty, but this one reality is not about Riyadh. And since we arrived here, I don't know how many millions of penalties we have missed. So, and this is a big problem. So, and we did it in this competition few times like uh, when you miss it it's difficult and barcelona survived a late shakhtar donetsk fight back to secure a crucial 2-1 victory saudi arabian club al nasser has reportedly contacted kevin de Bruyne's agent in the hope of setting up a meeting with the manchester city midfielder reports have referred to this as an evolving situation with al nasser hoping to explain their sporting project to the 32 year old in detail Questions have begun to emerge about the Belgium international's future at the Etihad, with his injury record being a large factor in those questions. Al Nasser has reportedly shown ambition when it comes to transfers, with the names they have brought in including Cristiano Ronaldo, Sadio Mane and Amrik Laporte. Another Saudi club, Al Ahli, is reportedly willing to offer Real Madrid star Vinicius Jr. 200 million euros per year to join them. Australia claimed the biggest win in Cricket World Cup history and the second largest in ODI cricket, claiming a 309-run victory against the Netherlands in Delhi. Australia managed to bowl out their opponents for just 90 runs to take a crushing win. After Australia's Glenn Maxwell smashed the fastest century in tournament history off just 40 balls, the Netherlands struggled against Australia's pace bowlers. They fell to 47 for 3 within the power play before wrist spinner Adam Zampa finished with his third consecutive 4 for 4 in the tournament. The Dutch lost their last five wickets for only six runs, dropping them to the bottom of the World Cup table while Australia remains in fourth place. Mercedes technical director James Allison says the team was embarrassed by Lewis Hamilton's disqualification from the United States Formula One Grand Prix for a breach of technical regulations. Hamilton and Ferrari's Charles Leclerc were excluded from second and sixth places respectively four hours after the end of the weekend's dramatic race. The disqualifications occurred after wear levels on the planks underneath their cars were found to have exceeded limits set out in F1 regulations. Hamilton's disqualification has serious season-changing consequences. Instead of closing to within 19 points of Red Bull Sergio Perez for second in the driver's standings, his deficit grew to 39 points with just four rounds remaining. The NBA and China have encountered turbulence in their relations over the years, but retired Chinese great Yao Ming says the league is still first class in his home country. He went on to say that NBA players and teams are all still very welcome in China. Yao, the president of the Chinese Basketball Association, soared to stardom in the United States as an eight-time All-Star for the Houston Rockets before retiring in 2011. NBA and China relations are in a good place right now. Minnesota Timberwolves small forward Kyle Anderson, or Li Kaiyue in Chinese, competed for China at the FIBA World Cup. NBA stars like Jimmy Butler and James Harden have also recently made visits to China. 
Yao and a roughly 30-person Chinese delegation recently visited the US and met with NBA Commissioner Adam Silver. Yao said that everything looks like it is running very, very well under Silver's management. World Rugby has concluded there is insufficient evidence to suggest that South African forward Bongi Mbonambi racially abused England's Tom Curry. The incident took place during the England vs South Africa Rugby World Cup 2023 semi-final this past weekend. World Rugby stated that they considered all the available evidence and have determined that there is insufficient evidence at this time to proceed with charges. Mbonambi is therefore available to face New Zealand in the Rugby World Cup final this weekend. And finally, Dolphins wide receiver Tyreek Hill did not practice on Wednesday because of a hip injury. The missed practice has cast doubt on whether he will be available for this weekend's game against the New England Patriots. Hill hasn't missed a game since he was traded to the Dolphins in the 2022 offseason. He is the NFL's current leader in receiving yards with 902. He briefly left last week's loss to the Philadelphia Eagles but was able to return, finishing with 88 yards and a touchdown on 11 catches. Right, thank you very much. That was Brandon Yates with Sports. Coming up in Culture and Entertainment, the Hungdian Film and TV Festival in Zhejiang Province. The Beijing Hour. Hello, I'm Peter Dinklage from X-Men Days of Future Past. You are listening to The Beijing Hour. Hi, I'm Kathy Freeman and you're listening to The Beijing Hour. Hi everyone, I'm Lang Lang. Welcome to the Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour, your window to China and the world. 54 minutes past the hour, turning to culture and entertainment, and Yang Guang joins us now. Thank you, Shane. The Hongdian Film and TV Festival is underway in Zhejiang Province. The annual expo has three themed seminars covering topics like industry development and scientific innovation in film and TV. The festival also includes film pr- pr- promotions, various annual association meetings, and the Win Room Awards. Hongdian is known as China's Hollywood, as it's the world's la- largest film and TV base. Stats show that about a quarter of the country's film and TV dramas and two thirds of costume dramas are filmed and produced in Hongdian. There are more than 80,000 extras registered with the Hongdian Actors Guild alone. Still in Zhejiang, an Italian troupe has staged a Beckett classic at the Ujian Theatre Festival. Wang Suwen has more. The Ujian Theatre Festival is celebrating its 10th anniversary, bringing a wide range of masterpieces to the city of Ujian. One of the highlights this year will be the return of international plays. In total, there are 28 specially invited plays this year, with 14 of them from abroad, spanning over 11 different countries. As one of the most anticipated international works this year, Waiting for Godot, written by Irish author Samuel Beckett, is considered one of the greatest of the 20th century. Greek director Theodoros Tsitsipas has taken up the challenge of bringing it to new audiences in his second appearance at the festival. The stars of the play are Enzo Vettelano and Stefano Nadizi, who've been cooperating since 1976. We've been cooperating for almost 50 years. It's just like one of the lines in Waiting for Godot, how long we have been together, 50 years. This is the first time the duo have performed in Ujian, and they say it's brought them fresh ideas and inspiration. 
We really like the theater festival concept, as it involves putting productions from the world on stage together. We haven't had a chance to see other works yet, but we feel really excited, which is all part of the festival too. Waiting for Godot is a classic that sees many different versions and performances, but the cast believe they managed to offer something new with their production. The innovation lies in creating a physical space that represents a group of people who can't see the future or find hope. They're still waiting, still looking for hope. But what are they waiting for? It's impossible to achieve this so-called hope. The play is in Italian, but one of the actors says it transcends language, culture, even time. Emotions are elementary. It carries strong and sincere emotions, including the feeling of human suffering, conveyed through emotional voices and bodily movements. This transcends language and can be understood by all people on a universal level. The festival serves as a platform for global communication, and if sales are anything to go by, audiences are clearly eager to see more international masterpieces back on stage. That was Wang Suwen reporting. The China National Silk Museum has launched a world tour featuring beautiful Chinese silk art starting in Budapest, Hungary. The show combines the virtual and the real exhibits with the interactive display of traditional Chinese silk craftsmanship. The virtual displays are based on the classic exhibitions on Chinese silk and the Silk Road culture accumulated by the museum over the years. The tour will also head to other countries, including Uzbekistan and Spain, later this year. Thank you very much. That was Yang Guang with Culture and Entertainment. We're at 58 past the hour. Beijing down to 6 degrees overnight, sunny and 21 on Friday. Chongqing has rain overnight and tomorrow with a low of 17, the high is 20. Last is down to zero this evening. It's cloudy and 14 tomorrow. Hong Kong's 25 tonight, then showers in 29. Elsewhere at Tokyo, 12 degrees overnight, a light rain and 22 degrees on Friday. Islamabad's down to 13, then clouds in 28. Bangkok has rain overnight, continuing through the day tomorrow with a low of 25. The high is 31 degrees Celsius. That's it for this edition of the Beijing Hour. Making news today, China's Shenzhou 17 mission with a new crew for the Tiangong space station is now in orbit. The Israeli army says its tanks have conducted a targeted raid in the Gaza Strip. On behalf of the staff, Shane Bigham in the Chinese capital, hoping you'll join us for the next edition of the Beijing Hour and open a window to the world together.